Hirangita Matafaiti, Hirangita Matafanui, no Mike the Mata, a Ferafirane, Itifanu Tanga or Koriro, Otiwa, Epa, Ororo, Anna, Itimotu. Welcome to Mata with me, Mihingarangi Forbes, brought to you by Tuangai Paho and the Public Interest Journalism Fund. Lots to discuss with our panellists, Dr Lara Greaves and Dr Will Flavel this episode. National's bilingual backflip, Labour's super showdown, and what was in the budget for Māori. Hei huataki i te wānanga nei, ka hurihe te aroaro ki te tairawhiti. Papatuanuku is battered and bleeding, Ranginui fury, and tāni mahuta bent and breaking. That's the finding of a ministerial inquiry into forestry slash woody debris and sedimentation in te tairawhiti and Wairo following Cyclone Gabriel. The 44-page report, led by Hekia Parata, is a damning review of the forestry industry and describes a failure of leadership and governance at a local level, saying people reported increased anxiety and depression, fear and paranoia, and feeling overwhelmed, stressed and abandoned. It calls for urgent action and warns tangata whenua could be left landless if the status quo remains. Hey, whakamahuki i te whānui tango o tēnei ripoata. Ko hono mai heki a parata, Ms. Parata joins us now via Zoom. Tēnā koe te marae kura. Kia ora, tēnā koe. This report is entitled Outrage to Optimism. Hea te tikanga o tērā. Ah, ko te pā pauri, te pā mama i ki ngā tāngato o te tairāwhiti o tira o Tūranga Nui Ākiwa me te Wairoa. Mm. Um, in every engagement we had from Te Araroa in the north to Ngātapa in the south of, of Gisborne uh, out to Te Wairoa, we met with, heard from, saw and felt the mamai and alienation, sense of abandonment and anger and frustration at feeling invisible um, to the government, um, to the local authority. And so we we recorded all of those those feelings and they were across the, the eight sections of our report that dealt with the woody debris, that dealt with infrastructure failure, um, use and abuse of the whenua uh, by forestry, but also by other um, land uses, uh, broken bridges and roads, um, you know, the lack of availability of economic levers to help with sustainable employment and quality life experiences. And we heard it all um, in our direct engagements, but we also received over 300 very high quality written submissions that amplified what people told us directly. So the report is characterised um, in terms of outrage, outrage at long-term deprivation of ad hoc interventions by successive governments of, of not being seen and not being counted. And for instance, we had that feedback about why State Highway 35 is constantly breaking and, and cutting off communities. And it's because our community only rates on poverty and isolation. So, so that was the outrage, um, the loss of power, the loss of telecommunications, the loss of water infrastructure, I mean, you know, these are the sorts of things we see on CNN and BBC um, when we're talking about communities that need intervention. And and here in Tairawhiti, um, well, we need that as well. However, um, our report also arrived at optimism because it captured the elements of not just hope, but 
but powerful forward-looking adaptation to climate, energy, um, concern for the environment and how we live with it, how we marry productivity with biodiversity. So the report um, has an arc that goes through all of those um, senses of outrage and arrives at a place of, of urgent um, demand, if you like, for uh, transformation. You say that we've literally got 10 years to turn it around um, and the report has a, a whole list of strong recommendations. Where would you start? Well, first of all, um, our panel would recommend that um, it's a, it's a it's an integrated package. The 10 years arose from a really cut through, um, really frightening fact that we learned from a land care scientist um, who spent 40 years studying gullies. And what we know from that meeting and the research that we were uh, able to look at is that um, just over half of the sedimentation that ends up in the waterways come from untreated gullies. And if you think of the coast as a body and State Highway 35 um, as the main artery, it has broken so many times that it, it, stents are not going to do it anymore. We need a full transplant. Uh, our gullies, um, before Cyclone Gabrielle, there were 1,864 recorded gullies. Now there will be many more. And if you think of those as haki-haki in the body or in the metaphor of the body, they have to be treated, they have to be ground covered, they have to stop supporting um, exotic pines that are too heavy for the rims of those gullies. I didn't know before this um, inquiry that there are different types of gully and we have far too many amphitheatre gullies that in the report you will see above one stretch of the Waiapu that it is abs it's hemorrhaging um, soil into the river which then goes down to the sea. You'll see inside the front cover of the report the erodibility map for Tairawhiti and um, Tūranga Nuiākiwa and Te Wairua and you will see the red which is the erodibility and that shows that that soil is literally hemorrhaging. Mm. Now what those scientists say is that we can retrieve the situation, we have to start dressing with, with um, healing um, cover those gullies, planting appropriate plants to give them canopy colour uh, cover, um, making purple zones um, where you cannot now do any um, production type forestry or farming and restoring the catchments. So um, we have to start with being committed to not just the recovery post-cyclone um, Gabriel, but to a reset and a strong um, movement forward towards a climate-adapted living with a biodiverse uh, environment as well as productivity for jobs and income. Tell us a little bit more about the Purple Zone. Um, I, I think the idea is that they are not going to be touched. You're going to identify which is the Purple Zone and how are you going to work with the landowners um, and the government and the local government to make that work? Well, at the moment, there are several grades of, of land um, and they are colour-coded. Orange and red are the most erodible. Um, you know, that's mainly where the remaining whenua Māori is also located in, in the red and orange zones. Um, and currently, exotic um, pine plantations are being planted on the those most erodible soils on very steep slopes. So gravity and common sense will tell you that they're going to come down, and they have been. And what we're recommending is that uh, within those red zones, we now go to a greater level of granularity 
granularity and make that a purple zone, which means that you can no longer do any activity on those particular zones except to heal them and retire those, um, you know, māwiwirawatsu ngā pokohiwioera puke and let them retire gracefully and start restoring the biodiversity that that will start regenerating if we do that. But we also have to have um, restore catchment management. We've recommended that both the Waipu River and the Waipawa River um, be given legal status, and that would mean then um, active governance over the headwaters, but also down through their tributaries. The Waipu is, I think, second in the world for the amount of sedimentation that it carries out to sea. And of course, that means land, that means farms being carried out to sea. And as one of the people said at our hui, you know, you can't farm soil in the sea. And so we have to keep it on the whenua and we have to find ways of doing both biodiverse activity that restores the mana of the taiao and commercial productive activities that provide employment in ways that still respect the particular landform and the land type. So we're recommending moving to um, a mosaic approach. And so for particular ecosystems with particular characteristics, allow only land uses that will work well with that. And that means the local authority, the Gisborne District Council, updating their plans and providing for those prescriptions of what is allowed and what is not allowed. How did we get to this point where Te Tairawhiti, as you say, is, you know, Hutinana is breaking? Um, long term um, isolation. Um, Tairawhiti, you know, you have to be going there to get there, right? And you, and it's not on the way to anywhere except our heartland and and Maunga Hikurangi um, and the welcoming of each new day. And so, you know, we we are not visible. Our soils, our terrain, our topography, the underlying geomorphology, they are all very complex systems that operate there. And, um, you know, many years ago when I was a young advisor in Prime Minister David Longy's um, advisory group, I I was one of the officials working on um, the post-cyclone bowler uh, options, and that's where afforestation with pines came in. And um, the understanding at the time was that that was what was going to be the key solution for saving that whenua. Um, of course, the, the planting approach and the harvesting approach at that time was under the Forest Service. So they got planted in the appropriate place. They got harvested in the appropriate way. That has not happened now for a couple of decades. And while the Gisborne District Council certainly did make submissions against the plantation um, framework that was announced by the government, that we found that they did not exercise the discretions that they should have because they know the complexity of those landforms. So that's why we've recommended technical support for the GDC because it's small with a slim rating base and it has not been able to get across some of these um, core requirements of local authorities. Yeah, some local authorities have not been happy with the findings of the report. What's your response to those local, local authorities? Uh, our criticisms are extremely well referenced and evidenced. And so what we were saying was these, these, this 
these, this lack of keeping up to date, the plans that relate to how the waterways and the lands are used have directly contributed to the emergency that is now occurring in Tairawhiti. And we went on to say, but help is on the way. We recommend that um, you know, technical support in carrying out the resource management functions be made available to the Gisborne District Council. Um, we recommended that um, there be additional support in operational delivery in the recovery period, and we strongly recommended shared regional leadership with the mana whenua as well as the Gisborne District Council. And we are hoping that the Mayor um, and the Council take on board that the Criticisms were valid, and now it's time to get on and deal with them because it's about the health and safety of the people, of the communities, and of the whenua. Um, you've made a, you know, you've made it very clear in this report that these recommendations are specifically for Te Tairawhiti, not the, not wider Aotearoa. Um, and just before we go, one of the the last recommendations I wanted to talk about is because it's a growing industry, is the carbon farming, the ETS. What, are, what is your warning there for Te Tairawhiti? Well, first of all, I think it's important that um, in the district plans, it's made clear what land is not available for that use because we have two beautiful stations, Huirua and Matanui, that are pastoral, uh, idyllic pastoral lands. They um, met the criteria for the Overseas Investment Office and therefore have been sold into carbon farming. So those plans, unsexy as they might be, are what says what's allowed to be planted, where and when and by who. And so those need to be updated. But it's not just about the ETS. One of the particular parts of our report that I'm really excited about is solving three wicked problems with one solution. So if I could quickly run through that. Whenua Māori, of which Ngāti Paro has um, the most uh, in, across uh, Aotearoa, but also a lot of it is inaccessible, it's landlocked, it's, it's coded red or orange, it's got hundreds if not thousands of shareholders, some have governance entities, others do not. It's really difficult to get capital to develop that whenua, yet, as our report says, it's often predated upon for bubble public goods for the roads, for the corridors, for power poles, etc., and so forth. But here's the thing. There is an opportunity that our report showcases to have the government, which has been the sole investor to date, but generally for feasibility studies that then don't run into actual development and production, um, to co-invest by creating the first biodiversity market in our country and potentially the world. And, and there are government statements, both internationally at COP last year and domestically about our commitment to climate mitigation, to adaptation and so on and so forth, and how critical it is to begin to have biodiversity credits and a biodiversity market. Because otherwise, what we are all focusing on is how do we make the ETS have less perverse um, incentives? But the fact of the matter is, is that ETS focuses purely on carbon tonnage and native trees take much longer to sequester mm. carbon. So instead of trying to change that to be something that it isn't, we're recommending that absolutely there should be a biodiversity market that has a price for biodiversity credits that then has a symbiotic relationship with the ETS. And right in Tairawhiti and on Whenua Māori across Aotearoa New Zealand, it would be possible, we think, for the government to invest 
in whenua Māori and put investment-ready projects onto a biodiversity market. And we've named um, the East Coast Exchange, which has been developed by some local innovators, as one of the possibilities. There are others. And then profile that for co-investment. Okay. There'd be a lot of interest in both biodiversity uh, in the complex landscape that I've just described for Tairawhiti, for Te Wairo, for Northland, for the West Coast. Um, but at the moment, my kaupapa is Tairawhiti. Kapai. And that would then create the first biodiversity market and we can move past the kōrero a ngutu noiho and ka tukunu ki te ao, ka tono atu ki te ao, ho mai tō herengi, engari he miriona tāra, um, hei āwhina tēnei kaupapa, uh, te akiaki te whakapakari uh, ngā whenua Māori. So the report is a prescription for transformation. Thank you. Kia ora, tēnā koe e te rangatira. Look forward to hearing from uh, the government's response to those ideas. Ko hika paratatira. Inai nei, ko te reo rāhiri tēnei ki ngā kanohi kai mātārai i hono mai nei. I'm joined now by two doctors. They can't get $5 off your prescription, but they can make you way smarter. Political scientist at Victoria University, Dr Lara Greaves, and Fulbright scholar with the University of Massachusetts, Dr Will Flavel. Tēnā kōrua. Hey, so Lara, thoughts on that report and uh, Hikia's interview? Yeah, so I, I opened up the report and it's just, uh, I just, it, something wasn't clicking, but Hekia Parata, she just like explains it really well. She's animated, she's got the love for it, you can see it. And I think that the communication on the report, like it just, it comes through really clearly and it's actually really quite upsetting mm. because for years we've heard from mainly our Pacific cousins that, hey, like climate change is going to be causing people to be dislocated from the Tenua. Mm. But this is a clear example of it happening in Aotearoa and it, you know, we know it's happening around the place. We hear that from the regions, we hear that from people all the time. Mm. And so I think this is really upsetting. Um, and yeah, it may feel a bit nauseous. I'm like, damn. Um, but it's that thing of what's the next step? Like, mm. are they going to actually do something? There's 10 million in the budget for slash cleanup, but what are the next steps? So, is it this just going to be like, you know, the, the warming of the climate where we just kind of sit, twiddle our thumbs and, oh no. West is best. That's where you're from. You've had a, your fair share of flooding and mm. climate change related uh, weather events. What's, d did you think there's a good plan in there? Yeah, absolutely. First of all, I acknowledge, um, you know, Hekia Parata. It's great to see her well. Um, and just with, with that report, you know, she completed that report within eight to nine weeks. Yep. And what I really liked about it is some very strong emotive language used in there. Um, and in the first half of, of, the, of, the four, of the four weeks, she actually went out to the community, mm. interviewed over 500 people. I think that was really important to mm. do so. Because out west, you know what, we've had so many people massively affected by the floods and climate change. A lot of people can't return back to their homes mm. as well, so that's problematic. And I think also, the report also acknowledges that the, um, the local council um, in the particular area needs a lot to work, a lot mm. of work to do. Yeah. And obviously Auckland and Council And she's suggesting also. that they need some support so they can, don't have to do it by themselves. Absolutely. Let's talk politics. The polls are mixed and there's t uh, two clear things. It's close. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> while the national, the party is, is still in the running, it's leader Christopher Luxon is... Not impressing voters. What do, you, what do you think they're going to do? What do they need? Yeah, a key weakness for National is the fact that he's just not connecting. He's just not building that kind of trusting relationship. Or, like, to me, I always put it down to his seeming inability to take the piss out of himself in the way that Chippy is. Chippy's all sausage rolls. And that dumb joke we've heard a million times about his dress sense oh. that almost kind of lands a bit daggy at this point. But it's dad. Like, it's dad. Helps to be from Upper Hut. Yeah, like the hut jokes, all of those. But, like, something about him that's not quite landing. Like, I saw on his Instagram, him and his wife cooking fish 
the other day, cool. But it's just something needs to connect a bit more. And it's, I hate that kind of politics, that presidentialization, but it's the reality of our modern politics. Yeah, the left also has a bit of a problem. They've got, it's a bit uh, busy in there with three parties at the moment that still aren't making it across the line. What needs to happen there? Well, you know, we've, we've got 19 weeks until the general election and we've got a basically neck and neck with you know, the National and ACT Party and also, you know, Māori, the Te Māori, Māori, Labour and the Greens. And so I think um, Chris Hipkins, you know, did a really good job in explaining key, um, key areas of policy um, in the Congress conference last weekend in Wellington. I think he needs to continue to continue to do that. I think Luxon's problem is that, um, you know, he's not... Um, connecting well with, with, with his target audience and perhaps he needs to, to um, ask uh, you know, uh, Bishop and Willis to actually step up more um, to, take, um, to take the range in terms of um, being more actively involved in the public for the National Party. Mm. They introduced Super this week, um, you know, they could keep it at 65, is that a win for Māori? Well, it's, it's a tough one because, you know, in terms of life expectancy for Māori, um, a, lot, a lot of Māori don't perhaps reach 65. Um, I'd like to see uh, perhaps um, Māori be able to access some of that funding um, earlier on, but I guess that's a, that perhaps would be a win for Aotearoa. Um, I'd actually like to see um, means testing. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. for, for, for that particular kaupapa because we've got um, those who are earning so much money and yeah. still able to um, you know, benefit from um, that particular benefit. So, yeah, I think more work needs to be looked at with that particular kaupapa. Do you think a more targeted scheme for super? Yeah. I mean, when you think yeah. about our kids who are 20 and they're going to be paying tax to... Yeah. you know, forever, and then who knows what's, if there's going to be anything left. Yeah, that huge inequity where there are people that, because they've been in manual labour, they've had to, they mm. do have to retire. 65 is like stretching it for them. Mm. And then there are people like some of our professor colleagues, sorry colleagues, you're like in their 70s, they're doing a great salary. Mm. Yeah. And like they love working and they can keep doing that. But that inequity is huge between those two groups of people. And it is, it's, it's just comes back to that little bit of that moral issue while like, what's that extra money for those people on those 100k plus salaries versus those who really, really need it and really do need to retire through those manual labour jobs. Um, Simeon Brown might be having a bit of real trauma this week. He started off saying that bilingu bilingual signs should not be a thing and then the parties come in over the top and said actually they support it. Uh, what, do, what do you think about, I mean, the mixed messages? Yeah, um, you know, it, it is quite sad to see that, but that's not um, that's not unexpected from Simeon Brown. You know, Aotearoa New Zealand is maturing as a country, and mm. it's in terms of naturalising Aotearoa Māori in all our public spaces, you know, a language that is seen, that is heard, that is felt, that is read, that's important for the ongoing revitalisation of Aotearoa Māori. So it's, it's a shame that we've got these um, mixed messages from the National Party, um, but that's, that's not um, unexpected from Simeon Brown at all. Um, Will says that we're, you know, we're growing as a nation, but then you look at Christopher Luxon's getting back on track, mm. um, hui, and uh, you know everyone wants to talk about too much the old co-governance mm. and all those those co-papas. Are they, you know, is that an old playbook they're going into? Yeah, it's a weird one because, like, realistically, they've got to win over middle voters, and all of the evidence shows there is a pocket of people that are very, they are anti-Maori, they exist. But like there may be 20% of the population, depending on how you're measuring it, like it's, it's a sentiment, it's there. But give it to David Seymour, give it to ACT. They're representing that group of the population a lot better than National is. Like if we, I don't know why we're focusing, I'm focusing on their interests. Are they losing but, sight of the um, middle yeah, ground? Yeah, the middle ground. Like this is not something that, you know, and then it becomes that back and forth, like that mixed messaging, that getting dragged into it, and the media's like, oh, there's a scrap. And so then there's the focus and the conversation has been around the, the, the signs, but mm. it's like they could be talking about something else, and it just seems up very negative and putting off the middle. Well, they said they were, the National Party said they were going to stand Māori candidates, and 
and they've announced their first uh, candidate for Tāmiki Makoto, Hinurewa Dehau. Do you know much about Hinurewa? Uh, you know, first of all, you know, well done for National for actually putting up candidates in their, in their Māori seats. First time in 20 years, I think. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. I, I haven't heard of um, the, the, the Tāmiki Makoto candidate for National, but I guess it's really important to have a, you know, a different view when it comes to um, the election this year, and I look forward to hearing what she has to say. Um, in the past, sometimes the National Party might get about 10% mm. of the party vote in those seats for yep. people who are registered in the Māori role. Um, will it change now that you can flip, jump across? Yeah, well, we've got till 13th of July to kind of figure out where we're going to be for the election, and that's just like a reminder for everyone to tell their whānau that that date, that's the new law, yes. that they need to do that, because that's admin, I still haven't posted mine off. Um, it's sitting on my counter. But, like, we've got to do it. But what we see for our research, like I ran a survey on this last year, that actually most Māori on the Māori roll are not really that kind of classic national voter. And that pocket of people who are more national voting might just switch to the general role. So really we're operating in the dark here. We don't know where people are going to go and for what reason to what role. But I suspect that, yeah, um, the, the position of any national candidate on the Māori role is going to be to just like be like, here's national, here's our policy, this is who we are, and just kind of contest Labour. I think that's their job mm. rather than to win as such. Uh, what, are, what You know, come election season, what will the Māori ministers be able to skite about in the last budget? Well, obviously the prescriptions, that's really important as well. Um, the early childhood um, um, fees, so if, you know, for those between two to three, I think that really, that's really important for our whānau Māori. I think the big boost for Matariki was really important. And also the after effects of, of COVID-19 and how that's affected our communities, I think the whānau order funding would also really support that in our whānau. How important is the Matatini boost? Because yeah. is that going to win some Māori Party voters, you reckon? I don't know if it will necessarily win them over from Te Party Māori because they are so kapahaka, so Matatini, like that, you know, there's so much on that. Um, so I don't necessarily know how much it will win people over, but I think it's a good policy. It's a good policy based on all the evidence, like various Māori academics have done a lot of work on it, showing like mm. the wellbeing that comes from Te Matatini. Mm. And it's a good investment on that holistic, that broader long-term investment. But I think it's that good thing where, again, like the left block is probably going to maybe include to Pāti Māori, so it's kind of almost like something for them. Mm. And I think someone like Willow Jean Prime, you know, thinking the other day, you know, when you're 80 years old, you're thinking, reflecting back on your political career, I imagine that will be one of those things where you're like, mm. that's a win for them. Tauhinari says that about Matereo funding, which, yeah. you know, which created all of these punareo, so yeah. I think you're right there. Mm. Um, where do you think this big boost of money should be spent in terms of te matatini on, on the infrastructure because it sounds like that's where it's going rather than the people. So if you look at our, if you look at our secondary schools um, we've just recently introduced Te Haka as a as a um as a subject that sits alongside any other subject, mm. so it's not a unit standard subject anymore, Māori performing arts. I'd like to see more funding directed towards our secondary schools and how we connect te haka, so those two students learn te haka and the matatini focus as well. I think we, we need to really get it out there in terms of, I guess, the whakangaho of, of kapahaka as well. I'd like to see more, more of that come to light because I'm never going to be on a matatini stage. <laughs> you guys really are, not. But I'd like, like to do a bit of, um, you know, uh, you know, I'd like to um, participate in, another, in other ways. Yes, I will never be on a matatini stage, but I will look forward to the day that my daughter, my daughters represent us. Oh, Tēnā kōra, thank you for coming in today. He toka tū moana he ākinga nā ngā tai, ahakoa ngā ākinga o te wā, he oranga kei rotu i ngā kuputuku iho e akiaki ana i a tātou, kia toka, kia titikaha. Ka nui, te mihi ki te puna whakatonga rewa, me te māngai pāho, Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back in a fortnight. Noho mai.